The Bible reading is Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man credited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead." You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. 
nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he was received from the Father, the, pro the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks, Gary and Karen. Well, uh, we just heard the sermon straight from Peter, so I can sit down. Uh, well, uh, this morning uh, we are up to an event uh, that has fascinated and fuddled Christians for uh, over 2,000 years. Uh, different perceptions and interpretations uh, of these events that we just read uh, have actually caused confusion and conflict and even divisions uh, in the church for that whole time. And uh, today, in under half an hour, there's no way we can dive into all the details but what we're going to do is we're going to try and get the big picture on Pentecost and reflect on the significance of it. Uh, there'll be an opportunity afterwards for questions. Uh, so after I uh, finish preaching, we'll sing a song. It'll give you some time to kind of get your questions together in your head. I can guarantee you if you've got a question, when you ask it, someone else will be really glad that you asked it. Uh, so make sure you jot them down as we go. But let's pray and ask God for his help as we jump into his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May your spirit be at work in us this morning that we would understand, uh, we would understand the significance of, of Pentecost and we would understand uh, what that means for us today as followers of Jesus and those who have received the same spirit. Amen. Uh, there's an outline there you'll find uh, on that handout, which uh, might help you follow along 
there's uh, a few more points than normal today, but uh, we'll hit through them fairly quickly. Now, sometimes the obvious isn't. Well, the first chapter of Acts that we looked at last week, uh, we saw that Jesus was risen. He gave many undeniable proofs. He was with his disciples. He appeared to over 500 people. He hung around for 40 days. And then, before he left, he gave his disciples a mission to go into all of the world as his witnesses. But before they go, before they begin this mission, Jesus tells them they have to wait in Jerusalem because this mission can't begin until God sends his spirit to come to live in each of them and give them the power to be able to be his witnesses in all the world. So after he gives this command, he tells them to wait. Jesus then exits stage left, or actually kind of through the roof and back to heaven. And when we got to the end of chapter 1 last week, Jesus is out of the picture. He's left the planet, literally. He's back, seated on the throne in heaven. And we saw all 120 disciples, the sum total of the church, less people than are sitting in this room this morning, gathered together, praying and waiting for the Spirit to arrive. And here we are about 10 days later after Jesus returned to heaven. And the Spirit that was promised comes. And obviously, obviously the shift now in the story, the shift now in Acts chapter 2 is going to shift from Jesus to the Holy Spirit. But the first thing that struck me, and I don't know if it struck you this week or this morning as we read Acts 2, is that the obvious isn't. Because as we read Acts 2, we realise, just like Peter and the first disciples realised, that the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost isn't really about the Holy Spirit. But the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is actually about Jesus. Point one, the Spirit comes. Have a look at verse one with me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Pentecost is a a week-long festival where Jews from all over the world came on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, a little bit like Hajj when the Muslims go from all around the world into Mecca. It's, It's just 50 days after Passover. It's just 10 days after Jesus returned to heaven. And as the festival starts, the disciples are all together, still praying, still waiting. Now, the they there in verse 1 could refer just to the very end of chapter 1, verse 26. It could just be talking about the 12 apostles. Uh, But I actually think uh, the context uh, before and after makes far more sense that actually this is the whole 120 believers. It's looking back to chapter 1, verse 15. 
Uh, This fits far better as well with the universal promise that Peter quotes uh, in our chapter this morning in Joel chapter 2. And so I want you to imagine this scene. There's 120 believers, men and women and children, and they're crammed into a a house together and they're all squished in, praying, and suddenly their prayers are interrupted by a sound like a hurricane. And as they look up, they look up and they see something that kind of just looks like fire. And it starts breaking apart and moving around and then this fire just kind of comes and lands on them. But it doesn't burn and it doesn't hurt. And as soon as the fire lands, it lands on you and your, your tongue suddenly starts moving in ways it's never moved before. It starts making sounds that you've never made before. And you're speaking in another language that you've never learnt. Now, these particular sights and sounds, the sound like the wind, uh, the little flames, things that look like flames, they're just one-offs in the book of Acts. Actually, this is the only time that they're recorded that these happen. And this means that we actually can't take what happened there in that room on that day as a pattern or a prototype or typical of how people receive the Spirit. We're obviously looking at something here which is unique, which is different. Here at the very beginning of the Spirit coming to live with God, all God's people, we have this one-off spiritual experience that marks the beginning of this new age where God has poured his Spirit out on his people. Now, it's interesting, I I noticed actually this week, a question for you. If someone today has a spiritual experience, this is not a rhetorical, by the way, asking for some participation. If someone today describes a spiritual experience, what kind of language do people use? Feel Feel something. Feelings, emotions. We today, we think, we think of spirituality and we, that's where we go straight away. We go to euphoria, we go to a peace, we go to the feelings and the emotions that we get swept up away in. But what's completely missing from this description of the coming at the very beginning of the Spirit? What's missing? Feelings, emotions, they're actually not described once. What is described is the reality, something that's far more profound and more deep and less fickle and more concrete than feelings could ever be. And so as we live in this world where people keep telling us, the messages keep coming to us, that true spirituality is tied up with feelings and euphoria. Actually, we need to come back to the first coming of the Spirit and realise actually that's not what's described for us here. True spirituality is not marked by feelings and emotions, but by the reality that Jesus has sent his Spirit to live with us, 
to lead us into all truth, to give us power to obey our Lord and Saviour, to give us power to be his witnesses in the world. This is far more exhilarating than any short-term emotional high you might call spiritual. As Jesus had said back in John 14, the true spirituality that the Spirit leads us into is to understand the truth and obey it. So don't let anyone discourage or deceive you when they tell you your spirituality isn't real because you haven't had the right kind of emotional experience, the right kind of euphoria, the right kind of feelings at the particular time. Now, the Spirit came, the Spirit filled, and then immediately we see the Spirit doing the thing that Jesus had said he would. Point two, the Spirit empowers witness. Now, I'd love to be able to speak uh, other languages. Uh, In my first two years of high school, uh, I studied Japanese. Uh, I use the word studied pretty loosely in that phrase. Uh, Well, I'm sure I learnt lots in many of my subjects at school. I didn't learn lots uh, in Japanese. Uh, All I've got to show for those two years of study uh, are three phrases. And actually, only one of them came to mind instantly. I had to really think to try and remember the other two. Uh, See if you know what they are. Ohayo gozaimasu. Means? Hello. Uh, Watashi wa Scott. Yep. Shizu kani. Anyone know that one? It means be quiet. (laughs) And that is undeniable proof that when every other method of education fails, constant repetition. (laughs) Shizukani, the one word that I uh, immediately can bring to mind uh, that I heard over and over again. Well, other than those three phrases, which are pretty useless, really, uh, my ability to speak foreign languages goes only so far as hello in Korean, thank you in Filipino, and yes in French. We oui. <laughs> See, language, it's such a barrier to communication. And it's such a barrier to the spread of the good news of Jesus into all the world. How would these disciples from this small town tell people what they have seen and heard if they can't even communicate in a common language. But we see here, as the Spirit comes to empower God's disciples and his apostles for witness to all nations, this is no barrier for God's Spirit. Verse 4, have a look. All of them, all 120, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And tongues just means languages. Uh, sometimes we've kind of attached these ideas to tongues, but it just means they spoke in a different language that they hadn't learned. Uh, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There were, staying in Jerusalem, Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, etc., etc., etc. Verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. 
Here's a question. What's the first evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit? It's declaring the wonders of God. It's announcing God's goodness, just like Jesus had said the Spirit would do. He would empower you to be my witnesses. Immediately we see the Spirit who Jesus said would bring us into all truth, leading those who he comes into to speak that truth to those around them. That's interesting, but, but so many people focus here on the how the disciples are speaking and they miss the point of why the disciples are speaking in tongues. You get it? They kind of focus on the, the tongues and they miss the point of the tongues. Narnia, any Narnia fans here? C.S. Lewis? I can't call myself a fan because I haven't read the books. I've only watched the movies. I know, tragic. Uh, but uh, Father Christmas in Narnia. Um, Father Christmas appears and gives the three main characters, the three uh, of the four Pevensey children, gifts for Christmas. And the gifts that he gives are weapons that they are to use in their fight against the white witch. And as he gives them to them, he says this, These are tools, not toys. Bear them well and wisely. And it's actually really similar to the languages, the tongues that the Spirit gives to those disciples there at Pentecost. These are tools, not toys. Bear them well and wisely. But it's sad that actually a lot of Christians today treat speaking in tongues a bit more like a toy than a tool. The focus becomes more on the act and the ability and the experience of speaking in another language than actually why God gave us those other languages so that we can actually then communicate, declare the wonders of God to people who speak those languages. The purpose of this ability is to witness to the great wonders of God in Jesus Christ. And when the focus shifts from the tongues, and we see actually in this, in this passage, because the focus here, it shifts from the tongues to the message and then to the result of proclaiming that message. When at the end of this passage we see 3,000 saved. See, the languages were to enable the spread of the news of Jesus. Not for us to get tied up and focused and caught up in the tongues themselves. Well, when these pilgrims from foreign lands heard these uneducated men from a fishing town speaking in their own first languages, they ask a really sensible question. Have a look at verse 12. What does this mean? This is a pretty straightforward question. What does this mean? How is it that these guys who are uneducated can suddenly talk in fluent Syriac or Arabic or, or whatever my language is? And then Peter, the disciple who's famous for always getting it wrong, now filled with God's spirit, 
stands up and gets it completely right. The answer, says Peter, is all about Jesus. Point three, the Spirit puts the spotlight on Jesus. Have a look. Verse 16, Peter stands up and says, Hey guys, this is what God promised hundreds of years back. This is what God promised he was going to do. This is what Moses, the prophet, longed for, that God would pour out his spirit on all people, that God would turn all of God's people into prophets. This is what the prophet Joel prophesied. Verse 17, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. And this is where what might have seemed obvious isn't. Because this is almost everything that Peter actually says about the Holy Spirit. As we read his sermon, it's, it's maybe not a long sermon as sermons go, but he says quite a bit. And only a tiny bit of it is about the Holy Spirit. From this point on, his sermon is completely about Jesus. And so as Peter stands there with the Spirit guiding him into all truth, Peter explains that the coming of the Spirit is proof that Jesus is the risen Lord and King the promised Messiah that God had promised would come, God himself who said he would come to his people. Jesus is the Holy One the prophet said God would bring back from the dead. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, says Peter. And we saw it. We looked on, we were there, we buried his body. But exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you see in here. You want an explanation for what's going on right now? For why, these, why we're all speaking in languages we never learnt? Well, the explanation is that Jesus is Lord and King and he's sitting in heaven and he has poured out the Spirit like God promised he would do unto all his people. And then we get right to the crux of Peter's sermon. Verse 36, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Because Jesus is risen and ruling in heaven, because Jesus has all the authority of God himself, he was able to send down the Spirit as he promised. Just like he was able to rise from the dead like he promised. 
just like he was able to heal and control nature and raise others from the dead. The Spirit is proof that Jesus is both the Lord God and the human Messiah from David's family who will rule forever and rescue God's people. So this is, this is the first Christian sermon in human history. And actually, I wonder if there would be Christians who'd be disappointed with Peter's sermon. I wonder if there would be Christians today who, if they could take Peter aside, go, hang on, you know, sermon, great, uh, Peter, great job, you know, great sermon, loved it. But, you know, actually, I, I think you needed to spend a little bit more time talking about the Spirit. You know, it's Pentecost, man. What are you doing? Talk about the Spirit a bit more. But actually, the Spirit is working and speaking through Peter to show us what Jesus told us back in John 16. That the Spirit doesn't come to be the one in the spotlight. The Spirit came to be the spotlight that shines on Jesus. So Holy Spirit, he doesn't want, he doesn't seek, he doesn't act so that he will be the one we focus on. He wants and seeks and acts so that Jesus will be the one that we focus on. The Spirit puts the spotlight on Jesus. And as he does, he shows that salvation is here and judgment is near. Point four. Joe, you just wait till your father gets home. I'm sure uh, many of us uh, will be familiar with the, the, the nuances and the connotations of that, that little phrase. Uh, maybe not used in ha- families quite so much these days, but, you know, the old, you know, the mum sort of saying, you just wait till your father gets home. Uh, you knew that that was a pretty thinly veiled threat. <laughs> Judgment was coming. Judgment was coming. And so for the child who's heard those words uh, spoken in great frustration and anger, when they hear their father opening the garage door, the tyres rolling into the garage, the engine switching off, the door opening, the door closing, those sounds are the sounds that judgment is here. (laughs) Those sounds are the sounds that you're in for it uh, and you know you... Well, you probably know you deserved it. But in a safe and loving father, actually those sounds of the garage door opening, of the car rolling in, of dad coming out of the car and into the house, while if you're in trouble, they may, yes, be the sounds that judgment is coming, they're also, in a loving family, the sounds of great joy. The sounds of, woohoo, dad's home. My kids often knock on my office uh, a couple minutes after five to remem- remind me that it's time to stop work and come and play uh, before dinner. And so, for a child who's heard those words, dad coming home brings both judgment but also joy. And that's what's happening here. The sound of Jesus' disciples speaking in languages that they never learnt is like the sound of Dad's car rolling into the garage. An announcement, a warning, letting us know that judgment has come. 
but so has salvation. Well, what's the judgment? Verse 36, Peter lays it out plain and clear. You, he says, to the people that he speaks to, you are responsible for the death of Jesus, the one who is Lord and Messiah of all. You, we, put God Almighty to death. And when these festival goers heard this judgment, they knew they were in for it. Like the kid who tries to hide when he hears the car coming in, thinking he'll get away, get away from dad. And they say to Peter, verse 37, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter expands on the end of Joel's prophecy that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, Peter says not only does the Spirit announce the coming day of judgment, hey, even far greater, the Spirit announces the coming and the arrival of salvation for all who call on the name of the Lord. Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many others' words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. See, the coming of the Spirit means that judgment is near, but salvation is here. This, uh, this message is the message that the Holy Spirit is all about. And look at the results. For point five, the Spirit brings growth. Verse 41. Those who accepted the message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property to, and, and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number of those who were being saved. Now, 120 to 3,120 is a 2,500% increase. That's pretty crazy. Uh, from less people than are in this room to the people in this room, plus everyone who lives in Little Hampton. That's incredible. In one day, in one sermon. It would have taken all day just to baptise them, you know? Form a queue, come on, next, next, come on down. But this is just the beginning. See, the coming of the Holy Spirit was a bit like injecting napalm into the fire. The whole coming of the Spirit empowers witness. The coming of the Spirit brings growth and explosion of God's people. And as we'll see over the next few weeks, 
as this incredible community comes into being, we just read there, this community is like no community you will ever find anywhere in any part of the earth, no matter what ideology or philosophy or program you try and introduce. A community of fellowship and generosity and care and hospitality, of conviction and learning and and praise and joy and awe. The Spirit did that. The Spirit brought that growth by shining the spotlight on Jesus, by revealing who Jesus is and what he has done. He is Lord and Messiah. Now, you might have a family member or a friend, a colleague or a neighbour, who you think is so hard and set in their ways that they will never be saved. They'd never listen to the message of Jesus. They'd never trust that Jesus is the Lord. They'd never humble themselves to repent. But the same spirit who brought salvation to those 3,000 people on that one day is the same spirit who is at work in us, who lives in us. And if he could bring salvation to 3,000 on one day, if he can change 3,000 hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, he can change that one heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep warning. Keep pleading, keep shining the spotlight on Jesus and who he is. Sometimes the obvious just isn't. The coming of the Spirit, as we've seen this morning, isn't so much about the Spirit as it's about Jesus. Pentecost proves that he is the risen Messiah who brings judgment and salvation. And he's the, pr- the coming of the Spirit is proof that there is hope for a lost and corrupt world. I've got two questions for you today. Uh, You'll find them on the back of your handout there. Um, Great. I'd love to hear you guys uh, wrestling with some of these questions over morning tea, on your drive home, over lunch. Uh, First is, what questions do you have about the Holy Spirit that you'd like to have answered over uh, the next 10 weeks? And secondly... If the reason the Father sent the Spirit was to put the spotlight on Jesus, why do you think it is that so many people put the spotlight back on the Holy Spirit?